Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well, you know, in a, over the years in, the, in this troubled world, that often goes out from people when they're looking for relief. How long, Lord, how long? Martin Luther King used those words in front of 25,000 people in Selma, Montgomery at that famous march. How long, he said... Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Dr. King goes on, I find myself asking the Lord the same question, how long? God replies by saying, not long. The lie of Satan will not live forever. The evildoers will reap their reward. The moral universe will bend towards justice, for God will ultimately judge the world. The idea of staying in suffering, of thinking, is there hope? Where will it go? The traditional uh, Christian response to all this is a poem I find. Uh, the traditional response is, you know, I am the Lord your God, I have waited for you and have heard your prayer. Now is the right time, I am coming soon. So prepare the way in the desert, a cradle in the hay, a meeting place in the marketplace, a table in an upstairs room, a cross on a hill, a grave in a garden, a throne in your heart as in heaven. For now, again, I will bend down and remember you. I will answer your prayer, and your waiting will end in joy. That's the sort of hope that generally comes up. But I, I wonder if it does really chime today. You know, it hits all the bases. You know, we're heard. He, and it is traditionally he, is coming soon. You know, we're prepared to prepare a way in our desert, referencing Jesus being tempting in the desert, a cradle in the hay, Christmas, a meeting place in the market, Jesus' ministry, an upstairs room, the Last Supper, a cross on the hill, a grave in the garden, and a throne in heaven. I will remember you, I will answer your prayer, and your waiting will end in joy. That is the traditional sort of Christian hope. You know, for the wise man, for the poor widow, for the old man, the mother, and for the everyman. That's what we're all offered as we look into an uncertain future. We look forward in fear, and we're offered hope. But, you know, I think, you know, hope is a slippery thing. Henry Miller said, hope is a bad thing. It means that you're not what you want to be. It means that part of you is dead, if not all of you. It means that you entertain illusions. It's a sort of spiritual disease, I should say. That's Henry Miller. And I think there is something to be said for that. The idea of there being, you know, this old traditional thing, but pie in the sky when you die. That's a sort of, you know, what you're going towards. Of hope giving people a reason to endure suffering rather than rebel against it. 
Hope gives people a reason. In, in the book 1984, George Orwell, there's a big lottery that happens in 1984. George Orwell says, the lottery, with its weekly payout of enormous prizes, was the one public event to which the common people paid serious attention. It was probably that there were some millions of people for whom the lottery was the principal, if not the only reason for staying alive. It was their delight, their folly, their adine, anodyne, their intellectual stimulant. Where the lottery was concerned, even people who barely read and write seemed capable of the intricate calculations and staggering feats of memory. There was a whole tribe of men who made their living simply by selling systems and forecasts and lucky amulets. Winston had nothing to do with the lottery, which was managed by the Ministry of Plenty. But he was aware, indeed everyone in the party was aware, that the prizes were largely imaginary. Only small sums were actually paid out, the winners of the big prizes being non-existent persons. That's false hope in a totalitarian society. And the concept of salvation, big Christian word, you know, could also be seen as being false hope. The British Prime Minister, Theresa May, said once that her faith in God was helping her in her decisions about Brexit. And Eddie Marsden, the British actor, commented on Twitter, so now my country and my children's future is in the hands of Theresa May's imaginary friend. And there is that sense of, you know, is it real? It can seem that this sort of hope is actually a denial of reality. Remember, we're in the you know, week of hope here with the, the candle. That's why I'm banging on about hope. Just at me. That, you know, if we have our diagnosis or you know, are facing a trauma or dreading something, somehow this hope will take away the problem or at least get you over it. But the reality does tend to stay with us. The hope seems not to be now, but later, like the man wanting to win the lottery. You know, we can still have hope. Paul says famously in 1 Corinthians 13 that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But I still think it's interesting that he does put hope in there. Um, the Greek word that he uses, well, he didn't use the Greek, but you know, the Greek word that's ended up in there is elpis. And the def definition of elpis, the Greek word, is hope, expectation, confidence, and trust. We're talking about this Advent because more than anything else, Advent is a time of looking forward. It is a time for hope. Hope in the coming of Jesus at Christmas, hope in the, the second coming, hope that in Mother Julian's words, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. You know, it, that's what we're looking forward to. And, and churches all over the world are doing that today. But it's also interesting that the root meaning of the word Advent 
is the two Latin words, ad veneri, which means to come to. So ad veneri is a coming to. It's actually an arrival. Ad veneri, it's to come to, it's an arrival. It's actually about arriving into something, Advent, rather than looking into the future for something. And I think the key to understanding how we can have that arrival and that hope is in the same time is the understanding of the importance of the word trust in the meaning of hope. Hope in the lottery, hope for salvation in the future, hope for a miracle when we have a diagnosis, I think is a false hope. It's a kind of irrational longing that all will be well despite the circumstances. The sort of hope that's rooted in trust is the knowledge that we are already looked after, including the circumstances that we're in. That we're actually already looked after, including the circumstances that we are already in. It's not trying to get over those circumstances. It says that there is something untouchable that will always be there even within the circumstances. That wonderful quote from Romans 8, uh, verse 28, and you know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those that love him, who have been called according to his purposes. God works the good for all things count for good for those that love the Lord. That's the old traditional translation. That actually in some way, everything that is happening can work for good if we have that trust. That is the real trust that we can have, the real meaning of all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. It's the moment of arrival, the arrival at trust. And for, meaning, for me, the, the, the true meaning of trust is reliability. All things count for good for those that love the Lord. The idea of religion being to learn how to live more skillfully is really about what can we rely on? What can we trust in? And it's this meaning of hope I think that you know, we can do business with. If hope is not about something in the future but about trust in the present, then that's something that we can stand in. It's the idea that whatever happens, we do have the wisdom and the knowledge and the capability of containing that and moving through it ourselves. So whatever comes our way, it's going to be okay. It doesn't mean that circumstances are necessarily going to change, but deep in our hearts, we know it's going to be okay. So, you know, what is it that we can stand in? Well, you know, what is it that we can rely on? What is it that will make us say all shall be well, even if our life is falling about us? And I think the answer to that question lies in each of us. It lies in our hearts and it lies within our goodness. What enables us to do that is hinted in that verse from 1 Corinthians, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's our ability to touch love. It's in that that our trust, that our hope comes. That's why, you know, Jesus' two great commandments were about love. You know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your mind, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We're given our life out of that love. And if we can touch our own love that's deep within us and express that love in the face of any circumstances, 
then we have something that we can rely on, something that we can trust in, something that gives us that hope which does allow us to arrive. But it's something that we have to own and we have to cultivate. The promise of Christ at Christmas and of the second coming, in a sense, are merely prompts to get us to relax into that love. You know, that's not pie in the sky. They're symbols of the evidence of that love which is with us now, the love which gave us our lives. I said a couple of weeks ago that, you know, love is giving with no expectation of return. And it's that ultimately giving from ourself, that ultimate self, that love that's within us that keeps us alive and keeps everything else alive. We're living in that sea of love, which is what life is like. It's a sea of love. And in order to be able to swim in that sea, in order to be able to keep afloat, what we have to do is to be able to give that love from ourselves, to become that which bore us, to become givers of love, to respond to all circumstances in that loving way. That, that great quote from Viktor Frankl that we've used before, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And Advent asks us to choose a loving response. It shows us the symbols of love, of Jesus, of the completion of time, the second coming. And it asks us to become love, to arrive. The answer to the wise man unsure of his influence is to become love. The answer of the poor widow waiting to be taken seriously is to become love. The old man's salvation is to become love. The young mother's answers to the fears for her children is to become love. And the answer to every man and every woman who is waiting is to become love. And so the answer from God is to give the symbols of love, as in that poem, the desert, the cradle, the marketplace, the table, the cross, the grave, and the throne in our heart. All of that is love. And when we enter love, our prayers are answered and our waiting ends in joy. We arrive at that moment. And love is the one thing we can rely on. You know, the rest of that quote from 1 Corinthians, you know, love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. That's the trust. That is the adveneer. That's what we are coming to. And there you have it. The answer to the problem of hope and the problem of trust, love never fails. Paul says it's love that's something that we can be completely relied on. It never fails. And so we have something to put our trust in that therefore gives us real hope that all things count for good to those that love. To live in love is to arrive. To arrive in heaven, which is this life truly seen. Not pie in the sky when you die, but right now, right here, life truly seen. 
The kingdom of heaven is within you. That is the great enlightenment that Jesus brought. And the living in love realizes that. And what is not of that love, what is mean, what is unlovely, what is cruel, what is unkind, what is self-serving, is all false. False righteousness, false hope, false self, false life, and it will pass away because it has no basis in truth. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Just a time for us to get out of our own concerns and worries and just to take on a bit of the concerns and worries of those around us. We do pray for those suffering and the effect of this new virus, this new type of virus, variant. Just pray that people will feel that love in our hearts. They will trust. There'll be a reduction in fear. We pray for our leaders that they'll act appropriately. We particularly pray for all those without any health care, those without vaccination. Pray for those who are in hospital, those who are grieving. We also think of the effects of climate change at the moment, those suffering from floods or hot weather. Again, we just pray our leaders will have the compassion to know what needs to be done. We pray for those in prisons, in war zones, living in unjust regimes, those unable to help themselves. Pray for the homeless, particularly those sleeping in the gallery here at the chapel each night. Pray for all those on the mountains, working on ski lifts in restaurants and ski patrol. Pray for safety. And we also pray for those who've asked for our prayers, for Don Bird, Rita Hunter, the O'Keefe family, Kevin Bedalian, Petra Krimmel, Marion Boltz, Jim Stark, Tom Troger, Joan Devlin, John Wampler, Carol Schultz, Lauren Geraghty, Nicholas Bradley, Bob Jenkins, Marcia Potter, Austin and Gianni McNeil, John Giroscura and Tony, Norman Murley, Vince Savage and Judy Weissen, who's preparing for knee replacement surgery. And we just offer all these people, all these situations to you and ask for your healing blessing. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.